Hi, this is Cliff Click, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about a blog called Introverts, Emotional Processing, Self-Esteem, and Salary Negotiations. You can find the, the write-up of this blog on my written blog at cliffc.org slash blog. Okay, so, so this also might have been called, you know, why are programmers, why do programmers suck at salary negotiations? So let me, let me talk this through. This is a story about myself, but every time I tell it to a room full of introverts, um, it, it really resonates with many in the audience. So has this ever happened to you? I, I'm quietly hacking away on something new when, hey Cliff, what the fuck? I want to show off your new module, which is alpha quality, to the customer and it crashed. I got an egg all over my face. And now I'm sorting out why I feel ashamed. And before I can respond, I get, you're supposed to be some hot job programmer. Why didn't you test it? Well, of course I did, but it's alpha quality and has many known bugs. Your crap is crap. Get out of my sight. And now I'm really reeling, and the jerk walks off. About an hour later, I figure out what snappy comeback I should have said, but I never figured out at the moment. What just happened? Why was I stunlocked by the verbal assault? The speaker should have known the code was barely baked and known unstable. The entire dev team certainly did. And so why yell at me for doing something foolish? Obviously, the fool was not me, but that's the wrong question because the answer to why fools yell is just not important. The right question is, why was I stunned? Why couldn't I think of the snappy response? It's because I can't do verbal processing and emotional processing at the same time. And this has had profound meaning to me, and figuring it out has literally changed my life, usually for the better, because I, I can now, and I do, compensate for this. So I'm going to replay that conversation above, but I'm going to show my inner thinking as well. So let's start out, and I'm peacefully coding, and my emotional guard is down. My creativity is up. I'm building something fun. I'm enjoying working in the flow. I'm, I'm you know, I'm creating. And then there's the interrupt. Hey, Cliff, what the fuck? And there's a verbal assault on my ego without any warning. I've been surprise attacked with words, and my ego is rebounding from the assault, and I'm trying to figure out why this guy is mad at me, hasn't sunk in yet. He's trying to off alpha quality code on a customer without setting expectations. And before I can get much further than that, you're supposed to be some hotshot programmer. Why don't you test it? And there's a second assault, this time directly at my ego and self-esteem. Like many programmers, I'm proud of my abilities. The supposed to be comment is directly derogatory against my self-esteem and the why didn't you test it is being presented as an example of my poor coding skills. Of course it's been tested. We all know it has bugs. That's why it's so awful quality. So again, I'm emotionally processing the second assault. By now I've sorted out his original action was unreasonable. He went to an alpha, a customer of alpha code without setting expectation, and he's engaging in ad hominem attacks against me. You crap is crap. Third attack, my emotional barriers up. The further ego assault is blocked. I begin making a judgment about his character, and he walks off. And the sudden attack ends as rapidly and as unexpectedly as it begins. But now I'm emotionally wrecked, and I completely pulled out of the flow, and my adrenaline has me charged up, and I'm highly stressed. It takes me a good hour to calm down before my ego rebounds somewhat. There's definitely a hit there. But after I calm down, I can begin to replay the conversation in my head intellectually and recognize it as an unreasonable assault and start to sort out all kinds of intellectual responses to his emotional attack. And the snappy comeback eventually materializes in my head hours too late. And I really I can't do the verbal processing for that snappy comeback and the emotional processing at the same time.
The verbal assault stalks me down, starts me down the path of emotional processing. And I'll not have any words until I sort myself out. Okay, what can I do about it? I can and I do memorize words that I can say without any verbal processing. Rote words, blind words, suitable for all such attacks. You know, here's some of mine, and, and the actual words are less important than the ability to get them out without having to think. I need some space to sort this out, I'm leaving. And I have to walk away. And there's a key add-on phrase if you need to do this with somebody who you have a, a, a relationship that you value. So, and I'll be back. So you're not abandoning the person, but you need to get out of there. And that's it. Hang up phone, block the calls and texts. Crucially, you must walk away in the assault. Run if you need to, 911, whatever. Nobody needs that kind of abuse. And that's what it is, pure and simple verbal abuse. Get away. Okay, so the same pattern showed up in my love life as well. So I've been dating for a while now since getting divorced. And, and sometimes during the first few months of a new relationship, so I've had like 10 years divorced almost, um, well, things are going really well, at least from my point of view, I get the question, Cliff, do you love me? And I'm speechless. I'm thinking, what happens if I say no? Will she walk away? Is she so concerned with love at this point in relationship? I like her a lot, but love after a few months? No, no, that, that takes longer. We're, starting, we're still sorting out the basics of relationship. And as for my actual feelings for this person, that's a deep search of the soul, which I can't do while she's hanging on to me and whispering in her ear. I'm highly distracted here. So in my silence, she interprets what? Rejection? More worries? More concerns for me? And yes, in the past, actual miscommunication because of the silence, because I'm sorting out I mean, emotional processing here. So basically, I'm stunned and I have no words. So now I've prepared this answer, which doesn't take any emotional processing. I don't know, really. I have to search my soul to answer, and I can't do that right now. That takes days. Last time I checked myself, I really, really like you, but it was not love, at least not then. Let me get back to you on this in a few days. And then there's generally some confusion. So the whole of this current talk is generally presented somewhere along the way. And my whole no emotional verbal processing at the same time thing and, and the need for space to understand myself. Um, and I've generally found my partners are all very understanding of this. It's something direct and concrete about how I process emotions. And it's easy to understand. And of course, if they don't get that, then that's something else for me to sort out as well. That's not happened very often, thankfully. Um, but the same pattern shows up in my sex life in a very particular way. I'm not sure if this is a good forum for that, but I'll see if what I can do here. So, you know, sex is highly emotionally charged, at least for me. And so I cannot talk during the act. And no amount of poking and prodding has been able to change that. Um, if somebody demands me talk, they demand sweet nothings, demand some sort of verbal assurance, that's going to kill my sex drive right there. And, and I, there's no, no more sex for me that night. Um, I can listen. I can hear. I can act. I can, I can understand uh, you know, gestures and, and, and directions. I just can't myself verbalize until you know, the act's over with. And some portion of my hindbrain that drives the human race forward has, you know, done its thing and is over. And I'm back in my head and I'm fertile again. Um, the, the, so more easily here, the, the same pattern shows up in my office life in other people. So I'm in the office. I, you know, I've got a big engineering team and, and we're building something and we're solving problems. And somebody's excited about a problem and a solution they've come up with. And they're sharing. And they're loudly and excitedly sharing. And they're saying usually the same thing over and over again about the solution. And a few other people are getting excited. And so we're starting to talk about the solution and the alternatives. And there's a wild brainstorming session going on. And quietly sitting in the corner is somebody 
maybe with the right idea, maybe with the best answer, who's too afraid to speak up. And they're thinking, what if I'm wrong? I'll look like a fool. Or maybe, I wish I could talk, but I can't. Or, or maybe they're thinking, they won't believe me anyways. They're doing emotional processing, and they aren't able to come up with the words or the courage to speak up. And as a, as a team leader, it falls on me to spot this pattern. The verbal action from the loud few on one hand and the quiet listeners on the other. And take some action. I don't want to stop the brainstorming session, not yet, but I want others to have a chance to share in. So I usually end up saying something like this, hey Larry, I heard you suggest XXX as a solution. Is that right? And I want Larry to know he's been heard. So perhaps he'll back off promoting his ideas so loudly if we're already all on the same page. We got it, Larry, we got it. I, I don't need to say it's the right plan or the wrong plan, only that the concept has gotten across. And after that acknowledgement, I can offer, I see some of the quiet listeners, does somebody else want to speak up? And everyone will pause talking, which makes a verbal space, a gap in the flow of words, which can be easier for a shy person to step into. Usually they'll sit up straight and look like they're going to speak, and then everyone will give them the, their chance to put words together. Um, you know, generally I work with a lot of people who are shy with words, and I have to be careful myself not to be the loud Larry, you know, lest I shut out the brilliant suggestion from the quiet person in the corner. Um, and I have to spot the pattern where, you know, one person is verbal, verbally dominating the conversation or dominating another person, and give everyone a chance, you know, a verbal space to step into it. You know, many of the people I work with, you know, programmers and introverts of all kinds, they, they appear to have, I hate to say it, but appear to have a fairly low emotional IQ. They're not necessarily aware, aware of why something has upset them, only that it did. And they end up doing a lot of quiet conversations where I help people understand themselves, you know, just in the corner somewhere. And this sort of leads me into this next notion I have, which is that there's these aspects of people and we all kind of share. And there's this aspect of the farmer is a person who is um, enjoys the hard work and building with his labor and the farmer's ego is boosted by what he accomplished with his physical labor. Today I built a house. Some family will live in it someday. And tradesmen are this kind of mindset. And the mage, and mage enjoys smart work or tool building or magical things. His ego is being boosted by being smarter or working smarter. Programmers often have a very strong mage aspect but also doctors and lawyers and experts in all walks of life, really. Whereas a warrior engages in a fight and indeed might revel in the fight. And politicians and CEOs and wheeler dealers and used car salesmen, they fall into this camp. The fight's the thing, not really what is being fought over. Um, programmers and maybe introverts in general often don't practice their warrior aspect very much. Their warrior is very unskilled and naive. And they can be pushed into a defensive position very easily and dominated by those with more fighting, you know, verbal and otherwise skills, the so-called alpha males. So, you know, what would you think of a well-functioning warrior um, of my opening conversation? You know, suppose there's, a, there's a, a, a lawyer sitting there doing something, he's working away at his desk, and, hey, Cliff, what the fuck? And the lawyer might respond, you're a fucking idiot. That was a fool thing to do. Immediately, the verbal assault is returned. An ad hominem reply to match the opening tone of the fight, and then a not very subtle pointing out who is the real fool. The, the lawyer's warrior skill is ready for the verbal fight and engages willingly. Okay, so now I'm going to get into a little stress and anger management, and then we're going to roll this all together into salary negotiations here. Hey, Cliff! What the fuck? Your crap is crap. I'm out of here! And the fool walks away. <laughs>
and the fight is over for the fool, but not for me. My adrenaline is raging. My warrior has picked up my ego armor, and my body is spoiling for the fight-or-flight response. The adrenaline and the stress just don't fade away immediately. They stick around, perhaps for a long, long time. The stress and anger might stick around for years. I'm angry now. I want to act. My body is expecting, demanding that I act. So, anger management, stress management. You heard the term kicking the dog? I'm angry. I want to attack somebody, something, anything. But if brain's enough not to attack somebody who might hurt me back, so I want to attack somebody who is safe, the dog, right? My SO, my kids, the person next to me. I'm angry at the fool, but I'll attack who is, whoever is convenient and safe. And that's wrong twice. Once, because I end up attacking the very people who are trying to help me. And twice, because my anger is not directed at the source and in a useful way. The fool is safe to attack me again someday. And yet, we still need to get that anger out of us, lest it turn inward. Have you ever gone home after such an event and stewed on it and stewed on it and stewed on it? That's anger turned inward, and it leads to depression. And high stress leads to all kinds of health issues. You need to get rid of the anger and the stress in a useful way. And the key here is you got to get the anger out, but not at. Out, not at. So getting the anger out requires some physical activity to get the adrenaline to metabolize. And not at means picking an activity that doesn't focus towards another being. Go for a run. Go to the gym. Walk around the block. Get to a tennis court. Imagine the fool's face on that ball and smash it. And again and again and again until his face fades and the anger fades and you're actually doing something aerobic. I used to pick up a pickaxe and go to my backyard and smash stones with it. Bang, bang, bang. Rock chips fly. Sparks go everywhere. Bits and pieces all directions. It's very violent and, and very therapeutic. And there's the fool again. Wham, wham. More sparks. Oh, and it's actually really hard exercise hauling that pickaxe up and down, up and down. And after 10 or 15 minutes, I'm hot and sweaty, and I'm over being angry. And, and I'm looking at a hole, and my mage side starts to kick in. Hey, what can we do with this hole? Maybe plant a tree? And the farmer side of me is speaking up, hey, the tree hole needs to be more round, about two feet deep, maybe a little more to the left. And now I'm sweating happily, and I'm, I'm constructing, I'm building something. And now I have two large, mature apple trees growing in my backyard that my kids have been pulling apples off for the last decade. Then there's another step to this process. You know, once the adrenaline's gone and the stress is out, the, the, you have to go through working through the emotion. And, and that's the, you know, the experience and the emotions and accepting what happened. I got verbally attacked by a coworker and, and moving on. And for me, I have found that talking to what I'll say in quotes, the village is a good solution. Well, the village is of whoever happens to be around me, friends and coworkers, family, sometimes strangers, whoever. For other people, it might be different. Artistic outlets like painting or singing or a quiet long time alone, such as a nice hike in the, in the woods with lots of Zen time, you know, perhaps in some beautiful place. Just know that you need time to work through the emotions and, and give yourself that space. You honor yourself to have the space to work through the time. When the hubbub of life settles down and the kids are in bed because they're always demand, 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 and the quiet descends on the world, don't reach for noisemakers to fill the space, like a, a TV or a loud movie, loud friends and alcohol. Give yourself that time for your inner, inner space. Work through what happened to you in whatever way is best. And be careful here. You don't want to stew, but you want to reflect on yourself. If you're stewing on it, you need to find another way to work through it. And that might mean you might need a conversation with a close, trusted friend or a therapist or a parent or somebody safe. Um, but, but just like any body injury, your emotions need time to heal internally. 
and give your soul some of that healing time. Okay, a little bit on, on people judging here, and then we're going to head into the, the wrap-up. So red, yellow, and green flag people. So here's a useful concept. Flag people with red, yellow, or green, sort of, you can do it really quickly. It's, it's easy to do. Green people, green flag people are safe to be around. It's the friends you trust. The ones you can bounce ideas off of without fear of getting sarcastic responses. You'll get safe, honest answers, no hurting words. In return, you can share your inner feelings and honest opinions right back with them. Where red flag people are unsafe to be around. You cringe when you see them walk up. You raise your emotional guards. Your creativity and your openness ends because sometimes they attack you. And sometimes they're passive-aggressive or making you know, seemingly endless kind of sort of reasonable demands. They're, they're dangerous to your self-esteem and your ego. And you subconsciously recognize it. Okay, recognize it consciously. Put the red flag on them. And yellow flag people are somewhere in the middle. Folks, you can be around, but maybe you only drop your guard carefully. So why do you want to make this call? It's because it brings your mage into relationships to help you figure out which ones are useful and which ones carry a burden and help you make an intelligent decision about the usefulness versus the cost trade-off. You know, as an example here, somebody I'll call Angry Anne always says some biting, sarcastic thing to say about people around you. And you always wonder what she says about you behind your back. But she's also a crazy fun party animal. And think about that relationship makes you, lets you make the decision intellectually. Is she worth hanging around sometimes, always, never? Bring your mage to bear, make the call. Same thing for the green people. You know, my, my, one of my green people is my brother. The divorce is on, the boss is yelled at me, the health claim got denied, I got a ticket for speeding, whatever. I know who to reach out for support. Knowing that means that I know when and where and how fast I can get emotional help. And that alone mitigates most of my emotional trauma. You know, you know your green people and use them. People really do like helping somebody else. And it's very life-affirming when I end up being somebody else's green, right? And now what to do about the reds? Lose them and, and really lose them. Try really hard. And, and you're not going to change them. People only change themselves. And you don't need the stress and negativity in your life. Life is too short to run around with your emotional armor up and you know, getting ready to duck from the next verbal assault. Your creativity, your passion, your love, your skill, they all suffer while you're on the defensive. Get wor it's worse if the red is somebody in your close in your life, like a parent, a significant other, or boss. You can get trapped in some sort of siege mode, constantly being on the deep defensive, only being reactive, never active, slowly getting beaten down to a shapeless mass of sadness. Internally, you're screaming for help, but externally, no one can hear you. And you need help to get out of this relationship. Get that help. Counselors, green friends, whatever, wherever, act to get out. Make the internal scream a real audible one. Other people know, right? So some suggestions on how to lose the reds. They kind of sort of friends, you know, pick your social activities with care. Same for abusive family members when you're an adult. Don't bother hanging out with that abusive relationship. Not worth it. A boss or a coworker, complain uphill. And, and here facts are crucial, not just words. You know, emails, texts, co-complaints. You, know, you don't want to start a he said, she said fight. It's generally worthless. And if complaining uphill doesn't work, ponder walking away. You know, life is too short to have a crappy job experience. Go get another job and work happily. Much, much better than working, you know, for more money. Be happy instead. Significant other? Um, that's a lot harder one to deal with, um, especially when kids are involved. But if you know there's something wrong and you're starting to red flag it in your head, 
it's probably time for a therapist or a marriage counselor. Okay, so I said before, you can't change the red folks. Sometimes people really badly want to change people, um, you know, somebody you love, but here's the deal. No matter how much you love somebody, you cannot love them into changing. Change comes from within, not without. No matter how much I control you, the general listener with these words, I cannot change you, only you can change you. Same for everybody else in your life and for you in their lives. Somebody else might want you to change and you might even be aware of it. But unless you decide to change yourself, their desires are for naught. Very similar vein, no matter how much you love somebody, you cannot read their mind, nor are they yours. So much broken expectations arise from this. Your significant other just did something that hurt you? Did he do it on purpose? Why would he hurt me? I just need to love him more and he'll stop doing that. No, 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 no. It's much more likely your SO has no clue that you got hurt. And if you mention it, hey, you really know I got hurt there, your SO will probably say, what? Wait, no, I didn't mean to hurt you. And maybe even, uh, how did that hurt? I don't understand. And now you can talk it through. And if they're really concerned about your well-being, they'll seek that understanding of how that hurt and then they'll change. But the change is driven from within, not by you loving them, but by your significant other loving you. Okay, let's wrap this up and head to salary negotiations. So put all these pieces together. So here's a funny joke I heard recently. Fighting with a lawyer is like wrestling with a pig in mud. The lawyer enjoys it. You're really gonna get really dirty and you're very unlikely to win. Same with used car salesmen. They sell cars to non-warriors each and every day. It's what they do. Nothing emotional about it, nothing personal. It's their job. And they probably enjoy it and they're certainly very good at it. Same with that HR rep. They negotiate salaries each and every day. Nothing personal, no emotional processing. It's just their job to get your skills at the best price for the company. The HR rep has a salary range in mind and perhaps a recommendation from the team that's trying to hire you. Their job is to get the requested skills, and you're only one of many people they're looking at, hired at the lowest possible salary, and after that, they step out of the picture. No hard feelings, no regrets, and no real interaction with the hiring team, except to check in every now and then. Your actual work colleagues generally aren't part of this process, and they probably don't know what you end up going through, except that they themselves went through this HR process some years ago. But it is your life, and your standard of living perhaps for years to come. So. After the customary pleasantries, the HR rep, like any good warrior, launches into an acceptably but verbal attack. So Cliff, how much are you making now? Or very similarly, so Cliff, how much do you need? And immediately I'm thinking, well, if I tell him, he'll only offer me a little bit above that, but I know I'm worth more. And how is my self-worth being judged by a single number? And I bet he's willing to pay more, but if I ask too much, I won't get the job. Basically, I'm doing emotional processing and my unskilled warrior is on the defensive. Pretty soon I'm backed into the corner of, I really need this job, I better tell him, and the fight is lost before it begins. I get the expected lame offer and I'm feeling underappreciated for years to come. Okay, what can we do about it? Well, what we do with any warrior should do, right, is you prepare and you practice for the fight. Okay, prepare. Know thy worth ahead of time. It's easy to find out the basics. Check out similar, similar skill sets on Glassdoor, Monster.com, Dice, whatever. Job boards are everywhere, and they all have examples of other salaries, and there's a, a million, zillion books on interviewing skills and practice interviewing questions and strategies. Getting that better salary is worth far more than the price of the book and a few hours to read it. Spend the time. Get your basic facts put down, right? Now, practice. This one's a little trickier. Get a partner to play the HR role 
and set up as much as possible like the real deal. Dress up nice so you're out of your comfort zone, just like a real interview. And find an empty office and have your partner sit in the power seat behind the desk. Another way to put you on the defensive. And play out a salary negotiation. See, practice, unlike preparation, hits you in a different place. And it trains a different warrior muscle. Preparation gives you intellectual ammo. Unless you think through what you should be asking and how to push the problem and so forth. Your mage is at work. Whereas practice is where your warrior turns knowledge into action. Without the practice, you're very likely to stumble trying to apply your newfound knowledge. Like, don't skimp here. You can read all the books you want on playing tennis, but practice is where you turn the knowledge into action. And in, in, in same as tennis or golf or any sport, you need the practice to practice the verbal back and forth of a salary negotiation. Okay, let me talk through BATNA real quick here. So what the hell is BATNA? Go Google it. Um, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. If you don't know, or, you know, look up the term if you don't know it already. It, it, it's really, it's your plan B. It's your fallback position. It's what you get if you fail to get the job or this negotiated salary raise or whatever. And knowing your fallback position tells you where your negotiation space is, your, your wiggle room. Your warrior needs this information during the fight. He needs it readily and without thinking. So prepare it ahead of time. Your mage will tell you if it's really weak and perhaps needs some shoring up before going into the fight. But whatever it is, that's what your warrior has as his ammo during the fight his ability to you know, give and take and, and make some negotiation happen. Suppose I like my job, and I'm really good at it, but my pay sucks. And I know others are getting paid more, and I want to raise. But if I walk in and they say no, what's my option? You know, suck on the no? Turns out, I need a better bat now. I don't even know what mine is. So perhaps I should go looking for another job. A pretty serious look, where in the other new job interview, I, I know that I don't need that job. Um, but if I want it, I can have it. So my bat is, I go back to my old job. Now I can negotiate with this person on a much stronger footing. But if I get an offer and I walk back to my first current job that I want to keep, I have a much better position to bargain with. I can suck on the no, or I can say I already have a new job with a higher salary. And I might even not even start with that. I might start out with, I want to raise. I don't like, and we go through the whole why you don't like and why you would raise and da 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 da. And then they might say, well, we're going to think on it, and now you can ask, you know, you, you can live with that and, or come back around. But at some point, if it's not moving, you can say, what about that raise? And they're going to say, no. And you're going to say, okay, I have another job. And they might change the tune from there. So really, it's, it's know what thy fallback position is, right? For questions like, how much are you making? And, you know, what do you think you're worth? Prepare your answer ahead of time. You know you're going to get asked that question. So just have the answer pat. Practice in front of the mirror till you can roll it off your tongue, right? You never really need to answer the question, how much I'm making now, but you do need to politely answer. So something along the lines of, um, what I've been making in the past is not really important here. What's important is the skill set I'm bringing to the table. And you know, what's really worth to you? Or I'm asking XXXX dollars because I know I'm worth it. And you can aim a little high. And the worst that can happen is, well, we'll have to get back to you on that request. Um, and maybe followed up by a counteroffer and one you can think about in the safety of your own home and your own time. Um, you have an answer that's polite, but you don't have to give the number out. You do not. Um, you know, the, the, they can judge you on your marketing skills versus what the current market salary for that position is. They don't need to know what you're making now. It's a lot of stuff here. It seems a little disorganized. Um, I'm still kind of sorting it out together, but I think it all hangs together. There's a warrior in each of us that doesn't get as much practice as it should. And there's generally a magi that gets a lot of practice 
And most programmers have a strong, you know, farmer instinct. They like building and building and building and building. They'll code and code and code through the wee hours in the morning, and they're very proud of what they built. I claim that we, as a programming community, need to practice our warrior skills more if we want to have a, you know, a better life uh, and a better salary and just better things we want to get in life. You can read more about this on my blog at you know, cliffc.org slash blog. Uh, look for the, the blog in the month of July. And with that, um, you know, good luck in all your salary negotiations. And this has been Cliff Click. Goodbye.